Well, hey there. Thanks so much for joining us on the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If these messages have blessed your life, go ahead and subscribe by clicking the subscribe button inside the podcast app. And if your life has been impacted by this ministry, would you consider supporting it financially so that we can continue to love God, love people, and prove it? You can give by visiting hope615.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you are blessed through today's message. Today is a really big day for our church, and uh, to coincide with that, we've been planning for this for quite some time. We thought this would be really the best time to kick off a new sermon series. Uh, And so the sermon series is called 21 Days of Prayer, and uh, I'm going to Shocker, I'm going to preach about prayer this morning, but here's what I really want you to know. The the 21 days of prayer emphasis, we're really going to kick off and talk to you about that tonight at our all-church gathering. And so what you'll learn tonight is over 21 days, starting tonight, we're going to ask you to pray some very intentional prayers, all of us as a church together, these 21 days in a row. Now, I, if you're, you would say, Ken, I'm really not a praying person, listen to me. This is nothing that you should become overwhelmed about. It, it's something that I think is going to be good for all of us, the entire church body, because what I believe the Lord's going to do, I think he's going to grow us as individuals, and I think he's also going to grow us as a church as we together participate in this season of prayer. And so we'll give you all those details tonight. And that gives me the opportunity. Jared mentioned this in the early announcement. Uh, But in case you missed that, tonight, we want you to be here. I want you to be here at 6 p.m. for our all-church gathering right here in the gym. We're going to transition this gym into a beautiful banquet hall, right? Yeah. No, it really is. It's going to be awesome. There are going to be beautiful decorations. There is going to be some amazing food tonight for you. And so we want you to come. Now, if you're a parent of you know, children, you're like, what do I do? Uh, we, uh, we have been so blessed. We called LifePoint Church and talked to their CLC people. And they're actually, we've been able to mobilize eight of their people who are going to come over here and help us lead kids ministry tonight so that none of you kids volunteers have to work tonight. So that's going to be available for all the kids. Let me say this about the kids' food. Uh, we're having a pizza party for kids. Now, If your child is like two or three years old, you know it's kind of difficult for them to navigate pizza on their own. So I would encourage you to go ahead and feed your toddlers. But you know, if your kid's like four or five years old and up, they can can eat the pizza. If you as a parent are like, well, my three-year-old loves pizza, I get that, but we would just ask you to maybe like cut it up and help feed them because we can't, it's just hard to do that. You live in that world, you know what I'm talking about. Amen? Amen. There you go. I know you know how that works. The meal is complimentary. You don't have to have a ticket. Just show up tonight, six o'clock right here. Okay, so let's talk about prayer. 21 days of prayer. We're gonna talk about prayer this morning. In the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles, we read the account of King Solomon. We're gonna talk about King Solomon this morning. And I wanna just jump right in. I wanna take you through several chapters briefly, the overview to show you what prayer should really look like. Look with me in uh, the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. And so Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting, and he offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. 
He's going. He's going to worship. One burnt offering was not good enough. He's serious about prayer. He's serious about his sacrifice to the Lord. 1,000 burnt offerings. And that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, look at this. God says, ask for whatever you want me to give to you. That's a good thing for God to say, amen? (laughs) That's what God said to Solomon. And Solomon answered God, God, you've shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed, for you have made me king over people who are numerous as dust of the earth. Look what he asked for. God, give me wisdom and knowledge. God, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And God said to Solomon, verse 11, Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, you've not asked for possessions or honor, you've not asked for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but you've asked for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people. God says to Solomon, because you've done all of that, therefore, verse 12, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. But wait, look at this. And God says to Solomon, I will also give you wealth and possessions and honor such as no king who was before you had, none after you will have. Listen to me, church. In our 21 days of prayer, each day we're going to give you a very specific prayer focus in this journey. But let me say this. If you decided to throw out the window our 21 days of prayer prompts and all you did for 21 days in a row is to ask God to give you wisdom and knowledge like Solomon did, that's a win. That that is a huge win. Listen to me. Why? King Solomon, think about this. He was guided by God. Solomon was guided by God. And in doing that, as he was guided by God, he learned that God provided Have you heard that little phrase before? When God guides, he always provides. It's a biblical truth. And so that's how chapter one starts. And then you get into chapter two and we read that King Solomon begins to make plans to build a temple. He wants to build this temple to honor the Lord. This is mind boggling. I'm not gonna go through all the text, but listen to me. In chapter two, it says that Solomon recruited 70,000 men. Listen to me, church. Just pay attention to this. He recruited 70,000 men to be carriers of the materials just to build the temple. How many of you have seen the new Planet Fitness commercial? I love this commercial. You know, and it's got the big guy and they're trying to interview him and all he says over and over is, I pick things up, I put them down. Have you, have you seen this commercial? I pick things up, I put them down. It is hilarious. It's not politically correct, though. But, but if you can imagine, Solomon enlisted 70,000 of those kind of guys just to carry the materials. That's not all. Then the Bible says, on top of that, he enlisted 80,000 men to serve as stonecutters. 
Oh, but wait, there's more. Then the Bible says on top of that, you need some bosses, right? He appointed 3,600 foremen to manage the workers. Do the math. That's 153,600 workers. I don't have the exact number, but do you realize the entire population of all of Laverne and Smyrna together is only about 90,000 people? Y'all think about the magnitude of what God is about to do with his people. And that's what chapter two is. And then chapter three and four, it records all the details of the building of the temple, how it's to be built, how it's furnished. And then in chapter five, it's getting good. They're getting closer. And so in chapter five, Solomon calls in all of the elders. He calls in all of the leaders. He, and here's what he says. He instructs the Levite priests, don't miss this, to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the inner sanctuary, in, into the most holy place. And as this was completed, the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, that the people gathered together for dedication of the temple. I, I've tried to just step back and imagine what this kind of worship service was like. I, I think it's impossible. I think it's impossible for us to understand the magnitude of what this was like. It had to be like epic. Here's why I would say that. More details in the Bible. The Bible says that the Levite musicians gathered all together. They were playing all these instruments, the harps, the lyres, the cymbals. Listen to this. Y'all like marching bands? You're going to love this. The Bible said that there were 120 priests in this musical group that were just specifically trumpet players. So if you've ever been in a marching band, you know what 120 trumpets would sound like all at the same time. That was going on. And so you had all these instruments, then all the vocalists that were singing, and together the Bible says, this is so good, in unison, they praise the Lord God Almighty, and the Bible tells us the song they sang. You ready for this? It's a seven-word song. Let me put it on the screen. Second Chronicles chapter five, verse 14. Here was their song. Thousands of people singing this song. He is good. His love endures forever. He is good. His love endures forever. One song with seven words. Now, my 90-year-old mother who's not with us today. She lives in Oklahoma City. She is not the biggest fan of some of the songs that we sing here at Hope Fellowship Church. <laughs> Do you know what she calls some of our songs? 7-11 songs. Here's why. She says, Kent, all you guys are doing is singing seven words over and over and over again 11 times in a row. <laughs> if my precious mother were here today, I would have to say, Mom, here at Hope Fellowship Church, we are just incredibly traditional. We are biblical traditionalists of the way we worship the Lord. We are getting it straight out of the Old Testament we're praising God the old school way. Mom, if it's good enough for King Solomon, That's right. yeah. amen? amen? Next time somebody comes down on you about our worship. There it is. Seven words. 
thousands of people worshiping the Lord in a song that had seven words. Then we get to chapter six, and and this is the prayer part of it. It it gets serious, it's heartfelt, and it is Solomon's genuine prayer. I hope you can read this later, but if you go back and read all of chapter six, you'll see his prayer starts in chapter six, verse 12, and his prayer goes all the way to verse 42. Word for word, we see his entire prayer. But I want you to notice how Solomon closes his prayer. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 40. He says at the end of his prayer, Now, my God, may your eyes be opened and your ears attentive to the prayers, Lord, we have offered in this place. And you might think that's a, that's a good way to end a prayer. I love that. That's powerful. But then you flip over the page to see what happens in chapter 7 when Solomon says, Amen. Look with me. Chapter 7, verse 1. And when Solomon finished praying. Please understand the truth of this text. Don't take it for granted. When Solomon finished praying, Scripture says that fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and all of the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not even enter the temple of the Lord Because the glory of the Lord filled it. And then tens of thousands of people, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, look what they did. They knelt down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, here's that same song again, seven words. He is good. His love endures forever. Now, I want you, I want you to think about this. If, like if, if we were going to make a movie about Second Chronicles, we, we could just stop right there. We could end it there. What a great way to end the movie. But that's not the end. Because prayer, listen to me, prayer, communion with God, it, it's not a one-way conversation. It's a two-way conversation. We pray and God speaks. Look at the text. Jump to verse 11 and 12. We pray, God speaks. Look at verse 11. And when Solomon had now finished the temple of the Lord, when he's finished the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace... It's then that the Lord appears to him at night and says, Solomon, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for my sacrifices. And then oftentimes I'm about to show you a verse that most of you have heard your entire life if you've grown up going to church, but you've never known the context of it. God basically says from there to Solomon, after all this glorious time together, 
he basically says, now, son, think of a father talking to his son. Son, man, things are so good right now. This is a sweet season. We celebrate. It's good. I love you so very much. But God's about to say to Solomon, son, there are going to be some days when it's going to be difficult. God's about to say to Solomon, there are going to be some times when you desire to follow me, it's not always going to be easy. There will be some trials. There are going to be some disappointments. There are going to be times when there's suffering. And look what Solomon says leading up to verse 14, 13 and 14. God says, Solomon, there will be a day when I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain. There's going to be a day when I command the locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. But, and this is the verse you've heard all your life, maybe not even knowing the context. But if my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. There's a whole sermon in one verse. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And when I think about this kind of prayer dialogue between God and Solomon, it's powerful. This is so much more than what is common for many of us. We're ready. Hurry, honey. The food's getting cold. Let's sit down at the table and eat. God bless this food to nourish our body. Thank you for our family. In Jesus' name, amen. We often say those kinds of prayers. And, and I want you to think just for a moment about your own prayer life. For most of you, if you grew up with a parent or a grandparent who was a follower of Jesus Christ, they probably taught you how to pray. My mom, who I referenced a minute ago, is 90 years old. Every single night of my childhood, she was the one that taught me how to pray. She would come into my bedroom each night to tuck me in. She really didn't tuck me in, but that's what we say. You know what I mean tuck you. Well, come on, nobody's tucking anybody. But she would tuck me in and she would say prayers for me and she kind of taught me the basics of prayer. It sounded something like this. Dear God, boy, I had this one down. I get fast. Thank you for my mom and dad. Thank you for grandma and grandpa Wells, grandma and grandpa Shingleton. Thank you for my brother Mike. Thank you for my brother Keith. Thank you for my doggy. Thank you for my friends, Alan and Jana and Randall. Amen. Okay, Mom. That, that's, that's how many of us learn to pray as a child. And so if you would allow me to ask you a difficult question, maybe some of you, what happens if your prayer life as an adult What, what if your prayers today still kind of look like your, your first grade prayer life? 
instead of a King Solomon kind of prayer life. And so where do you begin? Where, where do you start? Where do you begin? And that is exactly what this sermon series, 21 Days of Prayer, is going to be all about. We're going to learn about prayer. And I'm going to share some amazing stories about how God has been faithful, how he's answered prayers of his people. And then listen, as we go through this, the last day of the series will be on November 10th. And on November 10th, I'm going to preach about fasting. What is biblical fasting? Not fasting to lose weight, not fasting to be more healthy. What is biblical fasting? I definitely want you to be here that day because that week, I'm going to invite you to participate in a fast. Many of you have never done that before. But, but let me just say from personal experience, God hears the prayers of his people. And as I look around this room and I see your faces, for some of you in this room right now, God has answered your prayers. He has. For many of you in this room, you have known God to be your healer. For some of you in this room, you have known God to be your provider. For some of you in this room, you know God to be the one who has protected you. There's some of us, God has answered so many prayers that we don't even remember all of them. Many of you know him to be comforter. He has answers on behalf of your child. He has answered prayers related to your job. He has answered prayers that you have prayed for your parents. He has answered prayers you have prayed on behalf of your best friend. God answers the prayers of his people. He's faithful. Each week in this series, I want to share with you a little bit of a testimony of some history. God has answered prayers in our nation. And I want to close out this morning sharing this story about a, a young layman named Jeremy Lampier. I'm just going to read it to you from a historical account. Jeremy Lampier had hoped for more, but six people were six people. And did not scripture say, where two or three are gathered together in his name, there am I in the midst with you. So on this day, here's the date, September 23rd, 1857, at lunchtime, he did not moan about the small number who turned out in response to his advertisement. Instead, he knelt with the others in the rented hall in Fulton Street, New York. If you know your history, you will know what was going on. America needed prayer. The United States was in spiritual, political, and economic de decline. Many people were disillusioned with spiritual things because of preachers who had repeatedly predicted the end of the world in the 1840s. Agitation over slavery was breeding political unrest, and the Civil War seemed very near. Just that year, financial panic had hit, banks had failed, railroads went bankrupt, factories closed, and unemployment increased. And yet in lower Manhattan, a little Dutch reformed church 
had been steadily losing ministers. They didn't know what to do. Largely because of population changes owing to immigration in their community. So here was their solution. They decided to hire a layman, Jeremy Lampier, to reverse the trend. Here was their plan. We're going to have an active visitation program. Yet despite his visits, church members were listless. So he rented the hall on Fulton Street and advertised prayer meetings. He himself enjoyed close fellowship with the Lord and thought that others might too. Well, conditions in the United States got worse. Maybe that was a good thing. The Bank of Philadelphia failed. The third week of Jeremy's prayer program, his prayer meeting was now up to 40 people. And those people asked him if they could begin to meet daily to pray. On October 10th of that year, the stock market crashed. Suddenly, people were flocking to the prayer meetings. Listen to this. Within six months, 10,000 people were gathering together daily for prayer in New York City. Other cities across our nation began to experience this same renewed interest in prayer. It, it happened in Chicago. It happened in Louisville. It happened in Cleveland. It happened in St. Louis. This is interesting. The newly formed YMCA also played an important role because they were willing to open their doors and hold prayer meetings as revival spread throughout the country. In February of 1858, Gordon Bennett, a writer for the New York Herald, gave extensive coverage to the prayer revival. The New York Tribune followed, and history says this was the first revival in which the media played an important role in spreading the news. This is great. Don't miss this. The historical account reminds us that lay people, not pastors and church leaders, led out in this revival. Prayer, rather than preaching, was the main focus. The meetings were informal. Any person could come and pray, speak, lead a song, or give a word of testimony with a five-minute limit placed on each speaker. And in spite of the loose organization, the prayer meetings avoided the emotionalism that had been displayed in earlier revivals. About all this, at the end of the day, here is a layman who started a prayer meeting that was attended the very first time by six people, and all of this led to the third great awakening. This was the first revival beginning in America with a worldwide impact. The revival to Ireland, to Scotland, to Wales, to England, Europe, South Africa, India, Australia, and the Pacific items, islands. James Buchanan of Scotland summarized it this way. It was a time when new spiritual life was imparted to the dead and new spiritual health was imparted to the living. Church, there, there is power in prayer. 
I would suggest that most of us are so busy. We are so busy, we are so distracted that many days we don't pray as God would lead us to pray. And so I'm asking you to make this commitment with me to pray with us for the next 21 days. Some of you, if you cannot be here with us tonight, you're like, well, how do I do this? What am I gonna do? I can't be here to hear y'all talk about it. Starting tonight and then every day for the next 21 days, each of these prayer prompts will be shared on social media, on our church's Facebook page, Instagram, and on our church's website. And that's how you can stay involved every single day in this prayer emphasis. And so this morning, as we prepare to respond to what God invites us to do, and we're inspired by Second Chronicles and the life of Solomon, how can we end this service any other way but by praying? That's all we can do. If I could have the worship team come on out. Uh, I want to do something this morning that is a little bit different. Oftentimes, we have prayer volunteers on the wall, and I want to do that again today if you'd like to pray with someone. But Sherelle, where are you sitting? I have no idea where you're at. Okay, over there. Um, at times, you've heard, you've heard me talk about when Hope Fellowship Church started, there was this group of people that hung out in our living room, and Sherelle was one of those people that has been a part of this church from day one, really. And so if you don't know Sherelle, she's back there with a, a lovely, uh, uh, what do you call that, stocking cap? I don't know. <laughs> but um, Sherelle is going through a journey fighting breast cancer. And uh, she, she has faced a lot of treatment and, and all that goes with that. But this Wednesday, is it Wednesday morning? She is going to have a double mastectomy. And her cancer is very aggressive. Uh, and the doctors feel like this is the thing that needs to be done at this stage of this journey. And so as a people, I want uh, us to pray for Sherelle. Sherelle, I'm not going to make you come all the way up here. But if you know Sherelle personally... And uh, you would like to surround her and lay hand on her and pray over her. I want to invite you to do that right now. Just wherever you're sitting, you can stand up and walk back there. And then as we pray for Sherelle, I want to say this as well. In this response time today, um, as we look at what Scripture says, maybe God has just convicted you about your own personal prayer life. And you can respond to the Lord right where you're sitting but again, today, uh, during this time, I'm going to ask that our volunteers be over here on the wall to just take a moment to pray with the people. Because the truth is, just as we're going to pray for Sherelle, my guess is uh, about 80% of the people in this room, you right now have a very specific prayer need in your life as well. Amen? We all do. We all do. And so let's bow our heads together as we pray. And then after we pray, we're going to sing together and respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, God, in the first part of this prayer right now, as a church, we lift up Sherelle Balliard. God, I thank you for her life. I thank you for her family. I thank you for, God, her ability to know, God, that you're faithful. God, Sherelle already has a testimony very clearly giving you glory, saying, God, you've already answered so many prayers in this journey. And so, God, we pray for Sherelle again, specifically this week on Wednesday as she prepares Wednesday morning for surgery. Father God, I pray the doctors would do exactly what they need to do. I pray that all cancer would be 100% removed from her body, Lord. 
God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we know that you're the healer. We know you're the great physician. So God, as we do what your word tells us to do, as we lay hands on her, God, we pray that she would be healed in the name of Jesus. God, bless her. Encourage her family. God, them, encourage them in this difficult time. God, there are others in this room who find themselves on similar journeys. God, I think about Neil and Debbie as Neil continues to battle ALS. Oh God, be their tower of strength. Encourage them, provide for them, bless them. God, for friends in this room who have been through this cancer journey, oh God, would you keep them healthy? Would you keep these, God, perfectly pure? Without any more cancer, Lord, heal them. Continue to heal them. And then for the people who are at Hope Fellowship Church today, God, who may not have a a physical illness, but God, it is a spiritual battle that they face. Oh, Lord, show all of yourself to them. God, heal them in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you that we can come to this place and we can be open and we can be honest. We don't have to come into this room acting like we've got it all together. But God, let this become a, a place that for this whole community represents hope a place to be real, where we can experience healing, where we can confess that we don't have it all together. God, I think of Rashawn's testimony. That is what, God, we desire to see, that we can be real and open and honest before you. God, do what you want to do in this place as we as a people, God, desire to follow you. God, there are probably some people here today who have never started this journey to say, Jesus, be my Savior and be my Lord. God, they're just now realizing people in this room right now that you love them unconditionally. Oh God, I pray that you would overwhelm them with your grace and your love and your mercy. God, let them never ever resist what you've done in sending your son Jesus to the cross. But God, let them embrace that. Let them know how much you love them and let them know that they can have new life because of what was accomplished through your son Jesus at the cross. God, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thanks again for listening to the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If you're interested in becoming more connected at Hope Fellowship Church, please visit hope615.com slash get connected.